Let's look in uh, John chapter 7. Familiar couple verses, but uh, maybe not as familiar as we think when we dig into it. So we'll see. John chapter 7. Everybody feeling all right? Verses, uh, I think it starts in about verse 37. It says, on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, the New King James says, the King James says out of his belly, that's actually the more accurate translation in this case. So we'll use that. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what feast and what's happening on the last day? Anybody know? It's the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the end time, uh, not the end time, the, the, the last feast of the agricultural year. It celebrated the ingathering of the olives and the grapes or the wine and the oil. And it was the greatest festival in Jewish life because it was the culmination of everything. Passover was the beginning of the harvest uh, season festival. So it started with Passover, and then they would celebrate throughout the agricultural season until they got to Tabernacles, which was in our fall. And it would celebrate the total ingathering, specifically of the wine and the oil. So you can see right there how it could, might be a type of the Holy Spirit, right? Because in Scripture, the Holy Spirit can be referred to both as wine and oil, or in this case, as rivers of living water, right? <clears throat> so what happened on the last day of the feast, or the great day of the feast, was they would bring pitchers of water and they would pour it from the temple so that it would run at least a little bit of it out of the temple. Why would they do that? Because in Ezekiel 47, take time at home or something to look it up, in Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel has a vision of a restored temple, a rebuilt temple, And in verse 47, he sees a river flowing from the threshold of the temple. And this river becomes a mighty and a powerful river. And it's a river of life. It's interesting because it says everywhere the river flows, it gives life. And then it also mentions healing. And the trees that are planted along each side of the river, whose roots go deep into the ground and draw from that river of life, It said the leaves of those trees were for the healing of the nations. So they're celebrating the feast and looking forward to the time that they believed that Ezekiel's prophecy would be fulfilled. So Jesus is taking advantage of this opportunity, this this symbolism, this visualization, and this passage in Ezekiel chapter 47 And he's saying it's not a ritual issue, it's not a religious issue, and it's not even a temple issue, (laughs) but it is a spiritual issue. And so he says, if anyone comes to me and drink, 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, or out of his belly, you'll see why I keep mentioning that in a minute, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. So the whole purpose of Jesus teaching or believing in Jesus, and we'll get to that in a bit later, is to activate the spiritual potential that is inside of you. So Paul says, we know, in his writings in 1 Corinthians, he says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That means virtually nothing to us today. (laughs) That is a religious thing that we pick up on to try to not be religious. Here's what I mean by that. Because maybe for so long we, we, we thought that the presence of God dwelt in locations. And so, depending on what kind of tradition you came out of, particularly maybe if you came out of a Catholic tradition where uh, the presence of God, the real presence, dwells inside the host, right? We'd say, oh, God doesn't dwell in a building. He dwells inside of us. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you basically have one category, uh, us and them, this and that, right? Uh, God's not out there. God's in here. And basically, that's all the further we went with it. And that just gave us an excuse to be religious against religion, all right, anyway. But, but you got to understand that the temple in the first century was a very elaborate, very ornate structure. So when you hear you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, you're relating it to a church building or, or something, you're saying, okay, God dwells inside me. That's about the only truth you get from it. God dwells inside me. <laughs> when they're hearing that they're the temple of the Holy Spirit, there's all this rich symbolism around the feast, around the ornate uh, parts of the temple, about the structure of the temple. There was deep meaning about that. So when they heard you were the temple of the Holy Spirit, it was far more expansive and greater than just the way we look at it today. So let me give you a little bit of background, all right? So what's interesting is Jesus uses a term in the Greek that says out of your navel, or out of the navel, literally. Why would he say that? Is it... (laughs) I mean, think about that. It's kind of funny. We change it. Like, like we try to sanctify stuff. We say, well, we think you meant heart because we mean heart because Jesus lives in your heart. And for 2,000 years or whatever, at least 1,000 years, we've been hearing invite Jesus into your heart and whatever. So they change the translation to say out of the heart flows because that's obviously what they meant. But, but there's actually a reason he used the term from your navel. Here's why. <clears throat> Because you've got to understand the cosmology. If I use the term cosmology, everybody know what I mean by that? The, the way that the Jewish first century or second temple Jews understood the way that the universe was constructed. Here's how they understood it. <clears throat> they, there, was, there was in the temple this idea of the navel in the temple. So I'm going to read for you from that great scholarly resource called Wikipedia. But I can assure you it holds up under more intense and reliable scholarship. It's just simpler to do it from here rather than give you these technical quotes from Bible scholars. Talking about the temple in Jerusalem, it says, This is the holiest site in Judaism. It's talking about the foundation stone, sorry, the, the, the Dome of the Rock. You've heard of that? All right, so it's talking about specifically the foundation stone because the foundation stone was the navel. 
Got it? So this is the holiest site in Judaism. Jews from all over the world pray toward the foundation stone, the navel, what Jesus is talking about here, where they would pour the water. The Roman era Midrash, Tenhuma, sums up the centrality of the holiness of this site in Judaism. So this is from the time of Jesus, what I'm quoting to you. A Midrash is a commentary on Jewish life. Got it? As the navel is set in the center of the human body, so is the land of Israel the navel of the world, situated in the center of the world, and Jerusalem in the center of the land of Israel, and the sanctuary in the center of Jerusalem, and the holy place in the center of the sanctuary, and the ark in the center of the holy place, And the foundation stone before the holy place, because from it the world was founded. I want you to notice how they keep going deeper and more central, 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 central. So their idea is that the earth is the center of the cosmos. uh, Jerusalem, or the Holy Land, is the center of the earth. Jerusalem is the center of the Holy Land. The temple is the center of Jerusalem. The Holy place is the center of the temple. The ark is the center of the holy place and the foundation stone is the center of it all. Got it? According to the sages of the Talmud, it was from this rock, the foundation stone, that the world was created, itself being the first part of the earth to come into existence. So when God made dry land, this the foundation stone was the first thing that came. In the words of the Zohar, which is a sacred, mystical Jewish text, in the words of the Zohar, quote, The world was not created until God took a stone called the Evan Hashatiyah, which is the foundation stone. So that's the Jewish name for this. He took the Evan Hashatiyah and threw it into the depths where it was fixed from above till below. And from it, the world expanded. Fixed from above to below. This is important. From it, the world expanded. It is the center point of the world. And on this spot stood the Holy of Holies. According to the Talmud, it was close to here on the site of the altar that God gathered the earth that was formed into Adam. So you can understand now when Paul says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit has a little bit deeper meaning than what you and I think. So in other words, the the foundation stone, this is what Jews believe, the foundation stone was something that that pre-existed before the earth, that God threw into the waters, because remember at the beginning, the Spirit of God, it all starts coming together, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. So the Spirit is the transition point between earth and Elohim, or God. Because it's the Spirit that's hovering. Got it? All right. And it's also the place where God got the dust that he formed, Adam. It was on this rock later that Cain and Abel and Noah offered sacrifices to God. So again, with Noah, when the waters receded, it receded from the foundation stone, the navel. Got it? 
Jewish sources identify this rock as the place of the binding of Isaac mentioned in the Bible where Abraham fulfilled God's test to see if he was willing to sacrifice his son. The mountain is identified as Moriah in Genesis 22. It is also identified as the rock upon which Jacob laid his head when he dreamt about angels ascending and descending on a ladder and consequently consecrating an offering upon that place. And it goes on through how important this is in Jewish history. I want you to see this because when Jesus says out of the navel, this is what he's talking about. Now, I'll give you just a little bit more. I know maybe it's a little boring, but just bear with me. I promise it'll be worth the effort if you stay with me. So, for Israel, the navel is the axis mundi. That clears it up, right? Because you all know what the axis mundi is, right? No? Okay. Let me read to you what the axis mundi is. The axis mundi literally is the navel of the world. Now, if I tell you this is an archetype, do you understand what that means? So an archetype is something that Carl Jung discovered. This is part of what he called the collective unconscious. And here's what he means by that. You can take a human being and start a colony on the moon with two human beings. You could take two babies, raise them completely independent of anything in society, put them on Mars, and let them start their own society, and there will be certain things that will show up in the culture that will be consistent with every culture that's ever been. So the question becomes, how did they know to do that? In other words, they'll marry, they'll have families, they'll have stories with heroes in them, they'll have uh, religion and stuff. That stuff will manifest. Well, how do they know if they weren't taught it? So the Carl Jung postulated there is a consciousness in humanity that is separate from the individual that he called the collective unconscious that is full of archetypes or patterns that determine Society. The axis mundi is an archetype. The navel of the world is an archetype. Everybody hanging with me? So the axis mundi, or the cosmic axis, or the world axis, or the world pillar, or the center of the world, or a world tree, think tree of life, in certain beliefs and philosophies, is the world center, or the connection between heaven and earth. Do you get that? It's the world center or the connection between heaven and earth as the celestial pole and the geographic pole. It expresses a point of connection between the sky and the earth where the four compass directions meet. At this point, travel and correspondence is made between the higher and lower realms. In other words, it's a gateway or an access for ascension and descend, ascending and descending. Communication from the lower realms may ascend to the higher ones, and blessings from the higher realms may descend to the lower ones and be disseminated to all. The spot functions as the navel, the world's point of beginning. 
The image relates to the center of the earth, perhaps like an umbilical cord providing nourishment or life. It may have the form of a natural object like a mountain, a tree, a vine, a stalk, a column of smoke, or a fire, or a product of human manufacture such as a staff, a tower, a ladder, a staircase, a maypole, a cross, a steeple, a rope, a totem pole, a pillar, or a spire. Its proximity to heaven may carry implications that are chiefly religious or secular. So religious meaning in the temple mount or a church or secular meaning an obelisk like in Washington, D.C., right? Or a lighthouse or a rocket or a skyscraper. The image appears in religious and secular contexts. The axis mundi symbol may be found in cultures utilizing shamanic practices or animist belief systems in major world religions and in technologically advanced urban centers. In this one scholar's opinion, every microcosm, every inhabited region has a center, and that is to say it is the most sacred place of all, or it is the axis mundi associated with that culture. So, in other words, what they're saying is, for... Certain Eastern religions, let's say, there's a world tree that may, and they may use a natural tree to represent that world tree as the axis mundi, the place of ascending and descending, or the connection between heaven and earth, and also the center point of the world from which the four directions go out. Right? Temples are usually put where? On mountains. Right? So they're saying, so that could be a symbol of it. When you look at, uh, say, Native American cultures, or you hear about totem poles, the totem pole is also a representation of the axis mundi. Are you tracking with me? What is the symbol for Christianity? It is a cross, something pointing up, but also directionally, and that cross sits where? On Mount Calvary. So I'm talking about something that is absolutely central to humanity. That, that, that there is a sense inside the collective unconscious, there is an archetype, if you will, that there is a place that is the center of the world. <laughs> and from that place, there is a portal or, or a ladder or a place of ascending and descending where we can go up to the gods because I'm, I'm speaking generally of humanity, and the gods can bring blessing down to us. So for, Ju- for Judaism then, they're just doing what every other culture on the face of the earth had done. <laughs> they're saying, we're the most important people. <laughs> Our capital is the central capital, right? We kind of do the same thing as Americans when we say we're the greatest nation on earth. How do you know? Have you been to all of them? You don't know. But we say that because that's just what human beings do. The Chinese say the same thing. <laughs> the Jews in Israel today say the same thing. That's why they are so preoccupied with getting the, the Holy Land. Because it's the navel. See it? So certainly in Jesus' day, the Axis Mundi is the, 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 the Holy of Holies. So, 
This is why I'm stressing this. So what Jesus is saying then is he's saying it isn't about physical structures and locations. It's about the human being. What, what he's trying to say is the human being is the axis mundi. <laughs> The human being is the axis mundi. And if you come to me and you, and you drink from me and you believe into me, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more later, then out of you, I'll put you into contact with the spirit and out of your navel, out of your axis mundi, out of your central, most center location will flow a river of life. And out of that river of life, then everything will live and, and things will be healed. That's true spirituality. <laughs> in other words, in other words, it was the temple. Let me do it this way. The temple in the Holy of Holies was the place where the divine energy was stored upon the earth. And the whole purpose of sacrifice was an energy exchange. You, you're literally, what, what, what the sacrifice was, was food for the gods. Again, I'm speaking more generally because these things were archetypes. You see it in every culture. So they would bring food for the gods, or prayers were food for the gods, right? So in this sense, God is fed. A priest actually was a house servant who served meals. To in the house that housed the God. So there's this energy exchange. So what an altar was, was an altar was a place where we would bring food to energize the place. And, and then as the smoke and the incense would ascend, then our prayers would ascend on the smoke and on the incense. And then a portal would be created whereby the blessing of heaven could come down. And that blessing would take the form ultimately of a mighty river that would flow forth from the temple that would bring life and healing to the nations. That's the picture of Ezekiel. That's the point of the of the of the festival. And so Jesus stands up in the middle of that and he says it isn't this at all. It's if 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 you come to me and drink, you are the axis mundi and out of your center then the power and the flow of the energy of the life of God will flow from your innermost being and will bring life to you and life to everything that you touch. That there is so much potential in the believer to release the power of the Spirit to bring life and abundance and blessing and healing everywhere that you go. This is so important. Now, why, why the axis mundi? Now, watch this. Because the axis mundi is the center point of the earth. Now, when we say a person is self-centered... We mean they're selfish. <laughs> we mean that everything about their life is a reflection of them and how it affects them. That is not true self-centeredness. That is a person looking for their center. That is a person looking for their center. That is a person who has not become self-centered. We use the term wrongly. Because we want to, because I, I'm convinced there are powers that be that want to create confusion, and one of the ways they create confusion is twisting our language. So if you call somebody self-centered and put a negative connotation to it, then that person, just by the way that our brains work with language, can never become self-centered. So therefore they remain selfish. 
Because they can't find them center within themselves. I know you guys are giving me those looks. If they can't find that center within themselves, they will consume the energy of everything around them in order to sustain their life because they haven't found the power flow of the energy from within them that is giving. In other words, when you become self-centered, when you become centered in yourself appropriately, you find the energy and the life and the flow and the stream and the power of the Holy Spirit, and therefore your abundance comes from within and not from without. Therefore your needs are being met from within and not from without. So I don't need you to love me in order to feel whole, so I won't use you for that capacity to get that need met. I don't, come on, thanks. I, I don't need status in order to feel good, so I'm not going to be out there working like a dog trying to attain status so that somehow I can keep up with the Joneses so that somehow I can feel good about myself. See, those are people that are still looking for their center. <laughs> But when you become self-centered, you realize you're the axis mundi. Because for you, you are the center of the world. You are the center of your world. You don't know what somebody else is experiencing th- thinking. You don't know what the experiences of someone in, in New Jersey is like unless you're living in New Jersey. You, you don't know what the experience of a minority is unless you're a minority. You don't really know what the experience of, of uh, a non-minority is unless you're the non-minority. Do you, you see what I'm saying? So you are the center point of everything that goes on around you. Therefore, your point of consciousness, your point of awareness is the axis mundi. I'm going to quit and go home. And if you discover that, if you awaken to that, if you awaken to that self-centered place, if you, and you realize God isn't over there and He's not up there and He's not around the corner and I don't have to go to this place or that place. See, Jacob missed the whole thing. Jacob put his head on the stone. He's a picture of what Israel would do. Jacob put his head on a rock. Think about this. Jacob put his head on a rock and a, and a ladder opened up. The way the Hebrew says it, it came out from within him. The ladder came out from within him. And from that ladder, the angels of God were ascending and descending and the Lord stood above it. And he wakes up and he says this, Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. But that's not what it says in the Hebrew. It says, Surely the Lord is in this place and I, I did not know. <sighs> he did. <sighs> so then what does he do? He says, The Lord is in this place. But here's what the Lord said. Jacob, I am with you everywhere you go. He wakes up and he misses, I am in you or with you and says, The Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is the house of God. And he takes the rock and he anoints it and it becomes this object of worship for for Jews so much so that that's why they're fighting in the Holy Land because right now the Muslims occupy the place which is the navel, which is the dome of the rock, which is the the foundation stone. And that's why the Crusades... I I mean... 
Why? Because there are powers that be that don't want human beings to wake up and realize that they're the Axis Mundi because you cannot control a society of people who have the power of the Spirit flowing out of their lives. You can't control them. You can't profit off of them. You cannot manipulate them. You cannot blind and deceive them. And so therefore, if we can get you to project what is within you outside of you, and we can get you looking at a rock and a stone and a land and a place and somewhere else other than central to you, then we keep you blind to who you are. We keep you like sheep heading to the slaughter and we can use you for our own purposes and our own good. That's the whole purpose of religion. That's the whole purpose of political systems. That's the whole purpose of, 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 that, that's how, that's how empires are built. That's how, uh, commercial empires, not, not just, not just, uh, political systems and religious systems, but financial systems. That, that's how companies get their wealth off of you. What would happen if humanity woke up? So we offer you religion in place of true spirituality. Or we offer you pseudo-spirituality in place for true spirituality. We offer you some kind of easy, just kind of, I don't know, airy-fairy kind of spirituality to keep you satisfied to think you're really experiencing spirituality. But you're not coming into touch with the energies of the Spirit. Or... We offer you religion which externalizes everything that's supposed to be in you and requires that you maintain the group consensus. That's why the whole thing is built on belief. It's not built on experience. Jesus is offering you an experience. He's saying, if you come to me and drink, out of your center, out of your navel, will flow rivers of living water, and you'll find the Axis Monday for ascension and descension and for prayers and blessing and all that stuff. All the stuff that religion says it's offering you, if you come to Jesus, you'll find it within yourself. So He's offering you an experience, and religion turns it around and offers you a belief and a system of ritual and worship. And if you break... Why? To create a group consensus so that we can control the masses. Which is why if you break with the group consensus, now we won't have nothing to do with you. Now you're a heretic. What is a heretic? Someone who believes differently. Why do we all have to believe the same way? Because you're easier to control that way. And so, as, but here's what we don't want you believing. We don't want you believing you can actually experience it. <laughs> we don't want you believing you can actually produce it. We don't want you... And it's okay if you believe you can produce it. And we can talk about healing. And we can talk about miracles. And we can talk about transformation. And all that stuff. And as long as it's just talk and not experience, we're good. And the sad truth is, in order to experience it, you have to break with the group consensus. You can't have it both ways. You can't have religion and spirituality too because they are diametrically opposed. They are opposing forces. One is there to blind you and control you. The other is there to help you wake up and realize who you are. Find your self-center within yourself. And when you find that center of the universe that you are, then you find the peace of God that's inside of you. And when you find the peace of God that's inside of you, you connect with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you connect with the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're experiencing true spirit. Spirituality, and then that's just everything changes. Everything changes. Something does not have to be a principality, 
Oh, this is going to... We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers and the rulers of what? The darkness of this age. So whatever ruler is there keeping you in darkness is a principality against which we wrestle. But it does not have to be called a principality to be a principality. You can even call it Jesus. And you better feed the thought form. Because if you quit giving it your devotion, you quit giving it your agreement, you quit giving it your attention, guess what? That thing gets pissed off. And comes after you. Why? Because it's keeping you blinded. So we'll keep you coming to church, giving money in the plate, worshiping Jesus. We don't know where He is. He's off somewhere, somewhere, sitting on a throne. We're worshiping Him. It's fine. Have your beliefs. Convert people. Especially that. Because that keeps that thing fed. But do not wake up to the fact that you're the Axis Mundi. Because you wake up to that and it, it's done. I don't, I don't need you anymore to lay hands on me. Because I have the experience. So how does this work? So, so the title of the message, believe it or not, is becoming a healing presence. But you can't become a healing presence until you realize you're the accident. <laughs> that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That out of your navel flows rivers of living water. Which is why a true spiritual path will force you to wrestle with the greatest opponent you will ever face yourself. The greatest Satan you have to overcome is not the Satan out there that somebody is telling you about. It's the Satan in here that wants to shut the heavens over your life. Wants to close off that circuit over your life. Because really, think about it. If human, if humanity woke up to this, the book of Acts said it, the men who've turned the world upside down have come here also. What does that mean? Turn the world upside down. It means to topple the power structures. It means to topple the power structures, because you don't need them anymore. You're not following them anymore. You're not dependent upon them anymore. And a whole new creation, new race, new species of being begins to emerge on the scene because we all realize that we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house, being a spiritual priesthood. All right, so remember this part. So, so, so what? <laughs> okay, this is great, but so what? What do I do? All right, so remember, remember when I was reading to you from the Midrash. The earth is the center of the cosmos. The Holy Land is the center of the earth. Jerusalem is the center of the Holy Land. The temple is the center of Jerusalem. The Holy of Holies is the center of the temple. The ark is in the center of the Holy of Holies and it's on the foundation stone which is the center of it all. Which, by the way, also capped the powers of chaos that came from beneath. 
devil under your feet, however you want to understand that. When you realize you're the Axis Mundi. Out of your navel, out of your... Uh, see, now here's the tricky part. Here's the tricky part. Because you've got the divine energy. Let's just do it that way. You've got the divine energy within you. But that energy has to be flowing out of you. And that's the trick. Getting it in you, it's already there. Accessing it and getting it out of you is the issue. Which means you have to go within deep enough that you find the center of the center of the center of the center of the center. And that's the problem. So Jesus says, whoever comes to me and thirst, let him drink. Now, you got to understand that, that water drinking a rabbi, when a rabbi said that to a Jewish audience, if you followed a rabbi, what it would be said is you would sit at his feet and drink in his words like water. So it's talking about the teaching. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come in and take my words into him like water. And this is this, whoever believes in me, but in the original language it's not whoever believes in me. In, in some ways, Jesus is also personifying the temple. Whoever believes into me. Now what does it mean to believe into? To believe into means to take the beliefs as your own. In other words, if you could look at it this way, the teachings of Christ is constructing a house of consciousness that if you will believe your way into that same house, believe just like he believed, then you'll find that place inside you. It's not about just, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, good for you. Well, I prayed the prayer. Oh, good for you. I don't have rivers of living water. I'm miserable, actually. I'm miserable and defeated and broke, busted and disgusted. <laughs> and fighting with everybody that doesn't believe like me. And pointing the finger at everybody that doesn't think like me. Because I've got it right. I've got the right beliefs. Quite literally, the belief is incidental. The belief is the bridge. Once you've crossed the bridge, oh, this is. Once you cross the bridge, guess what? All right, let's do it this way. You're not experiencing it. You want to experience it, and you need a way to get. You need a bridge to get you from where you are to where you want to be in terms of your own experience. So this is what about, I'm not experiencing the rivers of living water. I'm not experiencing the power of the Spirit. I want to be experiencing more of it. So I need a bridge to get there. And the belief then becomes the bridge. But once you've crossed the bridge, guess what? You no longer need the belief. Because if you're on the bridge, you aren't on the experience. So what we do is stand on the bridge and arm ourselves to protect it. And make sure we don't have any deserters. And just on the other side of that, if we just wake up and quit defending the bridges, we would realize on the other side of that, 
is the experience because here's the thing. This is not a belief. This is an experience. And once you experience yourself as the axis mundi, once you have access to the Spirit of God within you, what is there to believe? What is there to fight for about believing? Well, you don't have it because you don't believe like me. Yeah, but they got the experience. This is what messed me up. When I started meeting people that had the experience but didn't have the belief. Wait a minute. There isn't just one bridge. So we're going to fight about the bridges. We're going to fight about the beliefs and the disagreements and miss the whole thing. Miss the whole thing and not have the experience. <laughs> so how do I find my center of my center of my center of my center? By letting go of all the other stuff you're attached to. Darn. We talk about attachments, we think of material things. Material things mean nothing. Whether you drive a nice car or don't has absolutely nothing to say about your spirituality or spiritual maturity. Whether you have millions of dollars in the bank or you got millions of dollars in debt, debtors knocking on your door says nothing about your spirituality. And so I say, you know, don't become attached to that house or become attached to that. Those are easy attachments to deal with. The really difficult attachments are your ideologies. The really difficult attachments are your values. The really difficult attachments are your opinions. And the most difficult attachment of all is your identity. I'm going to cling to my ideology. I'm going to cling to my values. I'm going to cling to my nationalities. I'm going to cling to what... But when it comes right down to it, I am Aaron Tomlinson. This is how I think and I must be right. This is what I value, so God must value it too. This is what I don't don't like, so God probably doesn't like that either. And all that's been conditioned by the society you're in. All of it. Which is why if Abram... See, we don't understand. The Bible is the most amazing mystical book ever written. And here's why. Well, let's do it this way. What would happen if you just woke up tomorrow possessing the fullness of the power of the Spirit? You became Bruce Almighty or Evan Almighty or whatever. I don't know. I haven't seen... Either one of those movies, but I just remember the scene with Jim Carrey, you know, I've got the power, you know, and he's looking up women's dresses and whatever else because he can just do whatever he wants to do, right? I mean, okay, quote another movie, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Same fire that'll cook your food will burn your house down. Same electricity that'll turn your light on will kill you. 
So what happens if this just becomes freely available, this experience this becomes freely available to every human being. And suddenly you had the ability to, you have to get the first service, create new timelines. You have the ability to change situations that ripple out and change other situations. That impact the lives of people with this power that you now possess. So what do you do? It's the glory of God. The Bible says this. It's the glory of God to what? Conceal a matter. It's the glory of royalty to search it out. All things... I hate the way religion... Let me tell you how religion twists the Bible. All things that are secret will be made manifest. How many of you ever heard an evangelist preach about your secret sin that's going to come out because the Bible says the secrets, any secret thing is going to be brought to light? Okay, well, you all been coming here. So. Some of you grew up in that Pentecostal holiness or that tradition, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because they, they want to uncover the dirt and the sin and, and whatever, right? What are they doing? They're programming your mind to think that you are anything but the Axis Mundi. Can't you see it? So what has been hidden that needs to be revealed? It's the secrets of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about there if you look at it in context. Why is it secret? Because not everybody can manage the power. So it's hidden. And a lot of it's hidden inside the Bible. But you can't find it if you read it literally. So let's tell you the highest way to read the Bible as the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, is to believe the literal interpretation, which sticks you in historical events that you're totally removed from. So frankly, whether it's true or not historically, doesn't mean beans about your spirituality. But when you can see the inner truth that is being spoken to, then you find a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet. And it doesn't matter whether any of that stuff was historically accurate because it's not leading you to an accurate historical conclusion. It is leading you to unlock the secrets of the mysteries of who you are so that you realize and wake up to the fact that you're the Axis Mundi. If you come unto me and drink, if you believe into me, the end result of following the truth is that you're manifesting the rivers of living water. If you're not, guess what? You've been lied to. All that to say this. So Abram, if, you, if all you see is a physical journey, you missed the whole point. Abram, get away from your country. Get away from your relatives. And get away from your father's house. To a land that I will show you has nothing to do with leaving the Ur of the Chaldees and going to Canaan. The Holy Land had nothing to do with dirt in Palestine. That's just a religious con to keep the industrial war machine going.
Because the Holy Land, the navel, is in you, not out there. So what did it mean? It meant Abram had to strip himself of everything he'd learned living in his country, among his relatives, and in his father's house. He had to break with every group consensus agreement that he had made in order to discover a new territory of consciousness inside of him that was holy and untouched, out of which then kings and nations and life could come forth. It's not about the historical person, Abram. It's about you. Same thing with the children of Israel who had to leave Egypt, the land of the senses, and go through a barren wilderness to get to a land that flowed with milk and honey. They had to be stripped of everything they knew because of the empires that were enslaving them to build their cities for their own wealth. And wander through a wilderness where everything that they were experiencing was merely a reflection of something within them. Because as soon as they leave Egypt, you've heard me do this before, but the Bible says Pharaoh in, in, in Exodus chapter 1. I'll show you how this works. Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh made the life of the Egyptians bitter with hard bondage. So how was their life? It says it right there next to this one. It was bitter. What's the first thing they encounter in the wilderness? Bitter waters. Hmm. Why? Because it was to show them that they were drinking the bitterness of their own hearts. And give them an opportunity to be healed. When they're complaining, it says God sent fiery serpents among them to bite them. What was that but an external representation? The poison of the serpent was merely a picture for you to see the poison of your own negative thinking and complaining and how it produces death. Should I keep going? <laughs> so that if you realize this is all about an inward journey of transformation, now all of a sudden, so but see, people can't get it. They want to fight over the, the literalness of it. They want to fight over the histor- historicity of it. They want to fight over all this stuff. And God did not give you a book. I mean, God, there, there are contradictions in the Bible. They're there on purpose to wake you up and realize maybe this ain't about the literal thing. But only the seeker, the true seeker, the truly thirsty one can find it. So it's a journey <laughs> to get there. It doesn't happen overnight. Why? Because as you're going through this process, if you can't turn the other cheek, you can't be trusted with all that power. 
Jesus telling you to turn the other cheek, and now we want to argue about passivity. Oh my God, you know, if you're in the army, you can't be a, there's this whole Christian pacifism movement that's, that's springing up now. If you haven't come across it yet, you will in a few years. You know, if somebody breaks into your house and tries to, you know, rape your wife and kill your kids, you can't defend yourself because Jesus said turn the other cheek. Oh my God. I mean, you see, we get, we get, no, that's out there. That, that literally is out there. But you see how we get so hung up on the letter of the matter? It's not about that. It's saying you've got to develop a condition in your heart that isn't going to retaliate or be retributive. Because when you stand in that place of the axis mundi, if you're retributive, you're going to do more damage. If you realize that we all are one, that what I do to you, I do to myself, then you'll do unto others. This is one of the most self-centered statements in the world. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, you're referencing yourself in order to do that. You can't perform that task if you're not truly self-centered because you're not even aware how you want them to do to you. Much less how you're doing to them. Hey, maybe we should tell this message, become self-centered. How to become self-centered. See it? As long as God's address is in heaven somewhere or in a building or in a location... Because again, to go back to Jacob, God said, I'll be with you wherever you go. And he didn't realize it was about him, that the ladder came out of him. He thought it was about a place. So it doesn't matter whether that place is a temple or in heaven someplace when you die. As long as you're locating God outside of you and other than you, you're never going to find that place where rivers of living water flow. As long as your allegiance is greater to the power structures, whatever they may be, religious, political, financial, racial, familial, whatever power structure is in your life that's controlling your consciousness is the very thing that's inhibiting you from finding the axis mundi inside you. So what happens? So God gives you multiple opportunities to see it, just like he did the children of Israel. Multiple opportunities to stop projecting everything out there and realize everything in my life is a reflection of something that's going on in here. Especially when I get those emotional charges. What happens when someone offends you? What happens? Do you look at yourself? Mm -mm. You can't be offended if there's not an emotional charge. So when there is an emotional charge, it's an invitation to look in the mirror. Why is it that certain things get under your skin but doesn't bother the person across the street? It's not objectively real. If it is objectively real, then all of humanity would be bothered by it. Uh Uh-oh. So that means all those emotional charges are 
subjective. Right? But as long as you think the cause is out there, you're missing an opportunity to transform what's in here. Does that make sense to you? So those things become mirrors for us. And all of this leading towards what? Leading us, hopefully, hopefully, to the place where we can experience ourselves as the temple of God. We can experience ourselves as the navel of the earth. We can experience ourselves as the axis mundi. We can experience ourselves as our own portal of ascending and descending. We can experience our own center, our own hearts, if you will, or our own inner sanctuary as a place of receiving and manifesting the the blessing of God so that hopefully what begins to happen is that that stuff that's in us begins to move outwardly and begins to bring abundance and begins to bring life and begins to bring healing to the nations in a way that is real and lasting because it's not pseudo-spirituality and it's not religion. It's really delivering the goods. I'll finish with this. We may have this gentleman come share um, sometime. But the strangest thing, I was meditating on this, getting ready for this, thinking about being a healing presence. Because I want to encourage you to begin to become a presence, a healing presence, a become the presence of God for people. Don't try to get them in the presence of God. Become the presence of God for them. Right? We're not going to do it all right by any means. But let's make that our intention. Right? So I was thinking about that today. And a gentleman came. It's amazing how God does stuff, right? A gentleman came at 8 o'clock. He said, he handed me his journal. He said, I want you to read my testimony. He said, I've been looking for you. I've been looking for this church. He said, I was... I was came to a service, a healing service that you guys did over on Adams. Um, but I haven't been able to find you. And finally I ran into a neighbor that told me this is where you are and I need to share this with you. And so I began to read his journal and it was from a service, it was a journal entry that was dated, oh my gosh, seven years ago maybe. And he came to a healing service that we had. So we had a strong emphasis on that back then. And I'm reading in his journal. Now, now, here's what happened. So this guy came one time. I didn't even remember him. He came one time. He had been suffering from back issues for years as a result of some military service and some things. This was a major health issue for this guy. And he got healed. Now, he's Catholic. And watch this. Catholic got healed in the service. He said, I've never been to anything like this before. I've never been to anything like what your church was doing before. Got healed in the service. Went back to his parish. I won't say which one. Went back to his parish. Talked to the priest and said, this is what happened. And the priest was wise enough to say, you received a gift from God. And he said, I kept asking myself, why me? Why me? Why, why did I receive this gift? As a result of that, as a result of that one experience, he started a Bible study in his parish. He started a Wednesday night prayer meeting. 
He's now full-blown, tongue-talking, charismatic, sharing his testimony and having an impact right there where he lives. And he sat there right in this chair just a few hours before, and he wept. And he said, I don't know why God did that for me. But he did that through this place. Now, why would today of all days be the day? That he should. I had no idea. But see, he's Catholic. He doesn't believe like us. He doesn't worship like us. He prays the rosary. He prays to Mary. He prays to saints. But see, that's fighting over the bridge, isn't it? He had an experience, a transcendent belief that put him in touch. And that's what, and he, that's what it was in his journal, what he kept saying. Why me? Why would God do this for me? Why would God do this for me? And why the weeping? Because he's having to shed years of a religious belief system that told him he wasn't worthy. And if you aren't even worthy to be healed, how in God's name can you be the Axis Monday? <laughs> so, really... That healing is still going on seven years later. Never underestimate the power of being a healing presence. Because when you discover, when that river of life is flowing out of you, you set off a chain of events. What about the people that he's impacted, that he's prayed for? What about the impact that their prayers have had? What about the impact that their Bible study has had? And so on, and so on, and so on. What happened? A whole new timeline got started. We would have had no idea. I'm going to share one more story. I remember there was another lady that came to our church for a while. She was going through a really hard time. And she had contemplated suicide. She'd had a plan, everything she was going to do it that day. She woke up with the intent of taking her life that day. And I went to high school with her kid. And she said, I'm going to go to Aaron's church and see if I can find a reason to live. And if I, can, if I can't find a reason to live, then I'm, I'm going to do it this evening. She'd, she'd had it all laid out. And I wish I could say I had a great sermon that day. Flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. Because I've done that before. I've called out people who were suicidal. There have been times the Lord gave me a word. I wish I could say, man, I, I just plucked one of those words of knowledge. There's someone here, you're thinking about killing yourself this afternoon, but Jesus loves you and blah, 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 blah. She left church and said, well, I didn't find one single reason to, <laughs> I didn't find one single reason to live. <laughs> But at that time, we had enough people that were committed. If you were a first-time visitor, we would bring you a little package of cookies. And we wanted to make sure it was that day. And so we had a team of people that were doing it. I don't even know who was, who was doing it at that time. She came to a prayer meeting that we were having because we were doing a time of consecration. She came the following week and she said, 
So I was ready to do it. I was going to do it that evening. I went home. I was just sitting in this vat of depression. And I hear a knock on my door. And I open the door, and there's this couple that hand me this box of cookies or whatever it was, freshly baked cookies. And she said, I felt this wave of energy come over me. And it completely destroyed any depression or thoughts of suicide that I was having. So what's the point? The point is, you don't have to be preaching. You don't have to be operating in really demonstrative words of knowledge and signs and wonders. All you have to do is have a heart that's willing to serve others and that's willing to give. And you give your gifts and you do what you can. And I guarantee you, those people, I know for a fact, they drop those cookies off with no awareness at all that while they were doing it, rivers of living water were flowing out of them and changing the course of someone's destiny and turning it from death into life. You have no idea. That's why I'm saying, if we could wake up, that one little small act, what would happen if we woke up and we walked in a God consciousness? We walked in an awareness that we are the axis mundi, that that our prayers are being heard, that we're a place of ascending and descending, that the blessings are coming down to us and through us and flowing out of us. Everywhere we go, everywhere we go, we're a healing presence. Everywhere we go, we're a, we're a, we're a game changer for people. And you're appropriately self-centered. You're not consuming what other people generate on yourself, but you are producing You are a life-giving tree whose fruit is food for the nations and whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. That's who you are. You're not primarily a citizen of planet Earth. You're not primarily an American. You're not primarily your political affiliation or your race. You're not even primarily your gender. (laughs) You are primarily the axis mundi in the earth. That's who you are. Let's stand up. Can you feel the energy of the Holy Spirit, the energy of your Father? (laughs) The lover of your soul. One of the tricks of the mind and the, the enemy is to get you focused on the times that you've missed it. Yeah, but what about all these times I missed it or messed up or whatever? That's the trick of the enemy. Blow you off course. So I want to invite you to just let that go. Let go of your mistakes. Let go of your regrets. Let go of your shortcomings. Let go of the shortcomings of others. <laughs> Who cares, man? You know? 
take a deep breath. Just as you're doing that, just breathe in. Jesus said, if you come to me and drink, just just as you're breathing that in, breathe in this energy, the Holy Spirit that's manifested in this place right now. Just take it into yourself. Tell yourself, I have significance. I have value. I have importance to the kingdom of God. I'm important to the people around me. Even if they don't know it, even if they don't recognize it, you're important to the people around you. And maybe just affirm to yourself. Maybe you've never even affirmed to yourself. Maybe just affirm to yourself, I am a life giver. I am a healer. I'm a generator of prosperity. I am a healing presence. I bring light and life and goodness everywhere I go. Those are good affirmations, don't you think? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today. I thank you for blessing this message, the hearers, everyone that it touches and impacts. Father, I thank you for the seeds being sown in our hearts. And I thank you that we have the opportunity right now as a people, as a community, to generate a different timeline, even as a church family, Lord, that we were headed a certain direction. But, Father, that direction has changed. So I thank you for the faithfulness and the love of your servants to sustain this new project, this new timeline, this new reality that's being birthed here in this place. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. And if you can believe that, saints, just say with me, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.